are listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Our text today is page 1091 from the book of Acts, chapter 9. As Saul's life has been threatened and he's escaped and now he's come to Jerusalem and we're going to pick up the story from there. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. They were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We're continuing through the book of Acts, this story of how the risen Jesus is continuing to work by his spirit. He's at work in the church, his people, to help them reflect what Jesus is like and how he transforms relationships as they share the message of the offer of new life and freedom in him. Now, that's angered some of the religious leaders, and persecution has broken out and spread out the church from Jerusalem. But now one of those religious leaders, Saul, has actually come to see and put his faith in Jesus, and now he's going back to Jerusalem to the people that he used to persecute, as well as the people that he used to be persecuting them with. I remember in junior high, I was tall and gangly and awkward and kind of lonely. Junior high is a tough age anyway, and we had just moved to another new town, and uh, I was the kid with glasses who always raised his hand when the teacher asked a question. So I was not super popular, and I was really glad when Tom came to town because uh, we both enjoyed nerding out on history and and video games, and we enjoyed the same kind of music, and uh, so we struck up a friendship. Tom was a little more athletic and popular than I was, so I I kind of looked up to him, too, and and tried to emulate him. As we got into high school, uh, things that I used to appreciate about Tom, for some reason, just now really started to irritate me. And and I started seeing all the things that I didn't like about Tom. And and our conversations went from, you know, like the the verbal jousting back and forth started to have a little more edge and, and a little more hostility under them. And I don't remember if that was exactly the cause But at some point, it led to a brawl in the lunchroom with chicken nuggets and bags of Doritos flying everywhere and us wrestling around on the floor and me in the vice principal's office learning what the disciplinary procedures for having a fight in the lunchroom was. I'd like to imagine it looked kind of like a martial arts movie, but it was probably more like Looney Tunes. And uh, I was definitely not on the winning side. Tom and I really didn't speak after that. 
Um, we we kind of went our separate ways through the rest of high school. We went to different colleges. And it wasn't until grad school for me that I came to know Jesus. And looking back, I can see things so differently now. The fact that I can't even remember what that argument was about that, that seemed so important at the time. I used to see Tom as, you know, like an enemy or a competitor, someone that I needed to be better than. I wanted to put him in his place. And, and I don't know where Tom is. We've, we've lost touch over the years. Uh, I imagine he's, you know, for the same age, he's probably got a wife and a family. He's got kids that he loves and wants good things for like me. And I'd love to be able to find Tom and tell him how differently I see that whole history now. Because I see myself differently, I see him differently, and I see you know, what I would want out of that differently. Because I've seen Jesus. And if he doesn't know Jesus, I want more than anything for Tom to see Jesus for who he is. We're looking at a story about a guy who had a bitter feud and a bad history with a bunch of people. But in Acts chapter 9, he comes to see that he was wrong and that he needs and wants to go make it right with the people that he'd wronged because he's seen Jesus and it's changed him. Now, of course, those people are hurt and of course, they're a little fearful and suspicious. But if they can see this guy differently, then amazing things could happen and a lot of good could come out of it. I think that's a lot of what this passage is about, that Seeing Jesus changes how I see everything. Seeing Jesus changes how I see everything. And as we go through uh, Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 26, a good question to be asking is, how does seeing Jesus, how does having seen Jesus change these people and the way that they see each other? Well, let's just dive into verse 26. When he, Saul, had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him because they didn't believe he was a disciple. Well, of course they didn't believe it, right? Like the last time they'd seen this guy, he was a key mover and shaker in murdering one of their friends. And then he disappears for three years, and now he's showing up again, and if it wasn't bad enough, like the last they knew of him three years ago, it wasn't just killing their friend. You know, he was going from house to house, dragging people off to prison. Like, let's expand the murdering and the jailing of Christians. And now after three years, he comes back and he says, hey, guys, man, great news. I have changed. I'm not with those guys anymore. I'm done with the murdering. I'm hanging with you guys. What can I bring to the picnic? And they're like, you are not hanging with us. We don't even say that anymore. That was like three years ago. And you are not invited to the picnic. You murdered our friends. Right? Like, of course they're hurt. Of course they're fearful and suspicious. And maybe as a side note, I think something we'll, we'll maybe unpack in, our, in the weekly post-sermon podcast, Cut for Time. Um, we we kind of start to get the sense that the church is trying to define who's in and who's out. And maybe it raises questions for like, what does that mean for us in being part of a local church and church membership? And is he going back to Jerusalem to like get approval from the other apostles? Or So we'll, we'll spend a little bit of time on that. But, but these disciples are not excited to have Saul back, to say the least. So there's this unresolved tension. I mean, right? Like we can understand that. Maybe some of you are living in an unresolved tension with someone. 
until somebody does something about it. In verse 27, but Barnabas took Saul, took him, and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. We met Barnabas back in Acts chapter 4, if you remember, all the way back then. And Luke has spoken very highly of him. He's a foreigner like Saul. He's from Cyprus. He's a generous guy. And his given name is actually Joseph, which we don't really remember much, because he's picked up this nickname that people have given Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, an encourager, a guy who's known for building people up, and he's living up to that name because he's willing to say, hey, guys, I will step into the mess and say, Look, guys, let's just slow down. Let me tell you what's happened with Saul, and, and when you hear the story, then you can figure out what you want to do with it. And Barnabas's willingness to be used like that makes a huge impact in verse 28. So he, Saul, was going in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Barnabas you know, was willing to come alongside Saul and, and put his name and his character behind it, and that lent weight because Barnabas has a reputation for being wise and generous and encouraging. So they listened to him. And then they apparently just welcomed Saul in, and that's one of these places in the Bible you know, where I'm like, don't just leave us there. What happened? How did they do that? And Luke doesn't give us the details because he's, you know, just giving us the highlights, the, the things that we're meant to take away. This is, so this is not a manual on, like, how we do reconciliation with people. But because last we knew, this guy was, you know, dragging their friends off to prison and having them killed, and now Barnabas says, well, he's changed, and they're fine with it? Uh, apparently, the, the point is, Saul has seen Jesus and been changed. And these people have seen Jesus and been changed. And because they're both with Jesus, that means they're together. And they've got to figure out what that means. But some things haven't changed with Saul. Verse 29, And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. Surprise! Saul is jumping into conflict and arguing with people. And surprise, more murder on the horizon Remember, this is the, the Hellenists are this uh, stream of uh, Jews who lived in the eastern Mediterranean. They'd not grown up in the Holy Land, but maybe they'd retired there. They were thoroughly immersed in Greek culture. They were Greek-speaking. Uh, so, so they were these uh, Hellenistic Jews who still practiced Judaism. And remember, they're the ones, these are the people who were behind this persecution of Stephen that led to his murder which means this is Saul's group. He's going back to the people that he used to be part of, that he used to identify, and yet now he's changed sides. And that's put him in their crosshairs. So how do these people that Paul used to persecute respond to that? In verse 30. When the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Now, honestly, I, when we read through this, there's a part of me that goes like, well, yeah, it's like Saul is like nuclear hot, right? Like he's a live grenade. Get him out of here. That's not what's going on at all. When they heard that his life was in danger, that's what motivates them to care for this man who used to be their persecutor. 
and to help him and, and to care for him. But for the second time in two cities where Saul shows up, he talks about Jesus and then he has to flee under cover of darkness in danger for his life. He's about to go on a missionary journey a few chapters from here and preach about Jesus. And once again, he's going to have to leave town after people try and stone him to death. And then a couple more cities and, and people try to kill him. And it's all sort of reminding us, it's a, the, the first picture of what Jesus had said back in 16, I'm going to show Saul all that he will suffer for in my name. And we're already seeing that what Jesus had promised is coming to pass. And then there's this little epilogue or summary in verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort or the instruction of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Luke is pulling this theme out again for us, that the church undergoes incredible pressure and threats and difficulty, and God preserves his people. The, the kind of hardships and difficulty and, and forces that would make any other group or institution just crumble under the weight of what they're going through, it doesn't have that effect on God's people. Because Jesus promised he would build his church, and he would be with us, and the church just keeps growing and getting stronger. And I think Luke wants us to see that and to be amazed and to be encouraged by it. Because of seeing Jesus, Saul has been changed. And the people that he used to persecute are changed. And the environment around them, the world that they live in, is changed. Every believer is changed from seeing Jesus. And because to really see him changes us and changes the way that we see everything. So, so what does that mean for us? Just a, a few thoughts here. First of all, seeing Jesus changes my relationship with God. Seeing the risen Jesus changes my relationship with God. Paul is described here as a, one of the disciples. Uh, earlier in the chapter, uh, Luke talks about the, the people of God as being saints, as being the holy ones, as being set apart, belonging to God. Now, Saul was on this track earlier in life with a certain understanding of God, but he has a collision with the risen Jesus, whom he thinks is not even a thing, and is forced to change how he thinks about God. Now, the, the point is not that we're going to necessarily expect to have some amazing vision of the risen Jesus like Saul. That can happen, but a Christian is simply someone who has seen Jesus in the way that all of these disciples in Jerusalem have seen him, have come to see him through someone else taking the message of who Jesus is and what he's done to them and God opening their hearts so that we now put our faith and our trust in Christ. We see him as the foundation of our life. We, we understand that I have been alienated from God and I've been an enemy to him, but in spite of all that, God loves me and he's made a way for me to be reconciled to him and, and have forgiveness and life through a relationship with Jesus. And, and that's what this phrase, the fear of the Lord, I think is getting at in verse 31. It is not about people walking on eggshells like they're afraid of you know, doing the wrong thing and making God angry at them. No, if anything, these are people who know that God is forgiving and kind, and patient, and loving, 
and good. It's their understanding of who God is in relation to them, that he is the king and we are his subjects. He is the creator and we're the creatures. That leads to humility and a desire to want to walk in his ways and obey him and please him. Because we don't see God as a disappointing scold or a judge who's waiting to to crush us, but a wise father who loves us and instructs us because he cares for us. And so we listen to him. And we make pleasing him and knowing him our goal. And because they had that straight, these people start to come at their church decisions and their life decisions and their relational conflicts and their community decisions with the right perspective. And as as a result, in verse 31, the church had peace, was being built up, was being comforted and instructed by the Spirit. It, It all worked. You know, I think church gets weird and and painful and harmful when we get this wrong. Because sometimes, I mean, our culture encourages us to to think of God, if we think of him at all, as, you know, just like an equal with us. He's he's like a partner, and he's like a life partner, a coach, who's just kind of there to help us have our best life and, you know, essentially bless and rubber stamp whatever it is we think is going to make for a good life for us. He's no authority figure in our lives. He's not someone that we need to humble ourselves before. And when we get that wrong, that's what leads to all the brokenness and the conflict and the mess in our lives and in our, in our relationships. We, we think that God and us are on the same level instead of God being up here and, and we are underneath him receiving humbly his wisdom and empowerment and direction. The church, the community of God's people, it has peace and comfort and growth and strength because they are united in seeing God as the one that they want to listen to and honor and follow in all the things that they're doing. That's what leads to unity and growth and peace. And I think that's what makes Saul make this trip to Jerusalem. Because seeing Jesus has changed his perspective. He wants what Jesus wants in his life. And he's come to realize that what Jesus wants in his life is reconciliation and peace. Jesus wants us to forgive and to be people who acknowledge our need of forgiveness to those that we've wronged. Seeing Jesus changes my relationship to other people. Luke talks about over and over again through the book of Acts and in this chapter about the brothers, the brothers and sisters, the community of God's people. It's a reminder that we have a new relationship to each other as Jesus followers. We see each other differently. as It's literally a family that we belong to and care for. Now, imagine what this is like for Saul. He goes back to the people that he has profoundly wronged, deeply hurt, and tremendously wounded. And he knows that he has to own it. He has to own it if there's going to be healing and growth in him and with these other people. And maybe there's people in your life that as you're looking at Jesus and looking at yourself through him, you see, I've been wrong here. I've hurt these people. I've wounded that person. I've left this unreconciled. I've not gone to them 
and, and owned what I need to own in how I've treated them, how I'm thinking about them, how I talk about them. Jesus does that when we see him and the people around us in relationship to him. But the people that Saul wounded, the people that had hurt, I mean, he's going back to people whose family members he killed and thrown in prison. And they have to wrestle with seeing Saul differently. I mean, Barnabas comes alongside to to reinforce this, but they have to wrestle with, what am I going to do now? with this guy who's been hateful and wrong and ugly and horrible to me, who's now saying, I was wrong. And I know Jesus has forgiven me, and I'm I'm praying that you can forgive me too for what I've done, because I don't want to be that way. I'm not that person anymore. Maybe there are people in your life that you struggle to forgive, that you struggle because you've been on the receiving end of the hurt and the ugliness and the, the hostility. This, this is not telling us everything that, that we're doing in reconciliation and what that process looks like. And, and this is not a manual. There's, there's so much that Luke leaves out here. But seeing Jesus changes how I look at those people because I'm seeing them as Jesus sees them, as people whom he loves and has forgiven. And Barnabas gets a ton of credit for facilitating all this. That was absolutely necessary for this church to to be healed and to grow together in unity. And and I think Luke wants us to see the significance of Barnabas here. That, That there's an opportunity for God's people, as we're seeing others who are at odds with each other, Maybe God has us in the middle of that or or on the periphery of that exactly for the potential to be used to bring healing and reconciliation to people who are at odds. There's something about seeing disunity and brokenness and conflict and distance that hurts the heart of God's children because we love those people who are at odds with each other. And maybe God has you seeing that not to take sides. Not to, not to go in and see one person win or, or another person lose or for you to be the hero because you know the right thing they ought to do, but to simply go and say, can I be a part of helping bring reconciliation and peace to these people? Because Jesus loves this one and Jesus loves this one and I know he wants them to love each other. And, and if I can be a part of that, maybe there's a relationship like that in your life right now too where people are at odds, they're unreconciled, maybe they're not even speaking to each other, maybe we're thinking about, good heavens, you know, what is it, a week and a half and we're going to be around a Thanksgiving table, or maybe not around a Thanksgiving table because Aunt Sally and Uncle Joe can't even talk to each other anymore, or we're just gritting our teeth and watching the time, how much longer until we get through dinner and we're just praying that something doesn't explode, or the conversation doesn't go in that direction. What if we went into those situations with the intention of, not taking sides and not winning, but being peacemakers. We're simply there to try and reflect the beauty and the calming presence of Jesus, that that we can help people listen to each other. I I, I want to reflect Jesus in my relationships. I, I, I want to not be comfortable as much as it's up to me to not leave people unreconciled. What if I ask God to help me be used by him to bring peace where there's mistrust and disunity? That's what seeing Jesus 
seeing other people through Jesus' eyes does. And it changes my relationship to, to the world and to outsiders too. Saul is a witness for Jesus, and that's pretty obvious. But all of these people are witnesses to Jesus, testifying to in their lives what, they, what Jesus has done for them. That means we're looking at the world differently now. We, we see people who don't know Jesus differently. And again, that means I'm going out into the world and in my relationships and work and in my neighborhoods, not to score points, not to win arguments, but to invite people to know this Savior who loves me and who loves them and wants to bring them into life and joy and freedom and peace. I think it also is a reminder, you know, that we probably know Saul's in our own lives, maybe people who are intelligent and successful and, and uh, you know, can speak well, but maybe they're stubborn. Maybe they're fanatical even in their opposition to Jesus. But Saul tells us they're not beyond God's reach. They're not beyond hope and they're not beyond his grace. Luke's story is encouraging us to expect more of God's work in people's lives. We need more faith. I need more faith to lead me to pray more boldly and more confidently that God actually can and will lay hold of that person's life. That God would use me in that process like Ananias and like Barnabas in Saul's life. And to believe that the, the same grace that reached down and touched me and saved me could happen in that person's life too. I, I don't have enough. I, I read this passage, I don't have enough faith like these people do, to, to believe that the Saul's that I know could actually come to know and follow Jesus, and it makes me want to see them differently with the hope and the expectation that Luke paints for us in Saul's transformation. Because Saul then goes out of there, just like all of these people go out from here, into all the places that God takes him with this Vision of, as, as we're talking about in our life-to-life groups and, and starting on this journey of, of developing more an evangelistic culture together with a sense of sentness. I'm not in my neighborhood by accident. I, I'm not where I work by accident. I live where I live because God has sent me there, not to condemn the world because he sent his son into the world not to condemn it, but that by believing in him, they might be saved. God has sent you into all the places where you go to be a witness for Jesus to the people that you know. Because now I see those people. They're, they're not enemies to be conquered. They're, they're not you know, wrong-headed people who need to be straightened out. They are people that God loves, whom I love now as Jesus does. And, and I want to introduce them to Christ The story of Saul's conversion in Acts 9 starts with him leaving Jerusalem to go arrest fugitive Christians. And the story ends in Acts 9 with him leaving Jerusalem as a fugitive Christian. Saul the persecutor has become Saul the persecuted. And it's not an accident that the Greek word for witness, martus, has become associated with martyrdom. Because Jesus says, if you're my witnesses and the world hates me, we can expect that we may experience rejection and hostility for following Jesus. But is it worth it? 
look at, look at this picture, the transformation that happens as we see Jesus and carry that vision, that awareness of Jesus into how I see God, how I see others, and how I see the world that he takes me into. Who but Jesus could do this? To turn a persecutor into someone who's willing to identify with the people he used to be persecuting. As someone who hated Jesus into someone who loves Jesus and is now willing to take the message of Jesus out into a world that he sees totally differently now. To turn enemies into friends and to turn persecutors into preachers. Only the risen Jesus can do that. And it's so beautiful when he does it. And he does it through us as we see him and as we walk with him into all the places that he takes us. Oh, may we see Jesus and let him change how we see everything. Father, thank you for this encouraging picture from your word of the change that Jesus makes in our lives. Lord, we... Many of us, maybe most, all of us have stories of, of the transformation that you have worked in our lives, and, and yet it, we know it's an ongoing process. We want to see more of you, Jesus, and, and to have that influence how we live our lives, our priorities, how we look at other people. Oh, Jesus, would you help us to see you in a way that transforms our relationships and all the places that you take us? We're thankful that you do that work by your spirit. We pray with gratitude in your name. Amen.